Before we get started today, and especially in these unprecedented times, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who are supporting us on Patreon. We'll give you the link later on in the show for those who want to sign up, but while there is no on-field action to report on at the moment, there are still many stories to share, so keep an eye out at EmergingCricket.com and our various social media channels for some exciting new projects coming up. Our global network of amazing contributors are pulling together to ramp up their efforts to shine a light on this amazing sport and the effect it has beyond its traditional centers. In the meantime, though, don't forget to push that subscribe button so you'll be notified when we publish a new episode. And if you know anybody who would be interested in what we talk about, share the link with as many friends as you can to help spread the word. Everybody you hear or read on Emerging Cricket donates their time to the cause and the rankings charts are a great way to get this pod to more people. So make sure to give us a five-star rating and if you can, a review as well, wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now though, sit back and relax and enjoy yet another Emerging Cricket podcast. Thank you for joining us again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. We're looking to bat on after reaching our maiden 50. And with me are the EC regulars and another special guest. Ooh. <laughs> First, the man known by many on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket, Nick Skinner. How's things? Oh, I'm very well, Bez. I've uh, been cooking quite a lot. Uh, giving the old walk a workout. Uh, you might know what cooking is a sort of a hobby unto itself. So it's been a bit of fun having some time to do that. How about you? How's your uh, your oven going? Uh, happy to report we're back in business here, although my repertoire of cooking has not improved in the lockdown uh, that we've had, which has been, what, basically four weeks now. So, look, I do need some more match practice. Uh, but to our other regular member of the EC podcast, our favourite left-arm orthodox spinner, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Not too bad, Daniel. Um, I saw that uh, Jeep reused their... Um, Super Bowl Groundhog Day uh, themed ad this week uh, to, to talk about everyone like staying sharp and healthy and whatnot in these times of repetitiveness. But uh, yeah, going on fourth week, more or less in, in lockdown and just trying to find the uh, the finer things. So I've also got the wok going, uh, going hard like young Nicholas. I think I... I Shoved about half a kilo of fried rice into my mouth just before we started recording. It was lovingly made by Melissa. But um, look, I'm good. I'm actually being quite productive during this time. It's amazing when I don't have that travel time of you know 15 minutes between here and work. How much yeah. I can, how much more I can get get done. Yeah, look, it's been interesting uh, waking up and and then going straight to my desk for a, a day of emerging cricket work. <laughs> unfortunately, stood down from from my other duties. Unfortunately, but looking to make the most of the time to to do some emerging cricket work. Before we do become the emerging food podcast this week, I want to introduce <laughs> our special guest. Uh, he has contributed with some great work on emerging cricket, but he's recently gone on his own and published a book titled The Secret Game, Tales of Scottish Cricket. Jake Perry, thanks for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast for this week. Hey, thanks, Bess. Thanks very much. Really, really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so looking out my window here, it's a, it's a slightly overcast uh, day in Pennycook just outside Edinburgh. We're on our fourth week of of lockdown as well, but it's been beautiful sunny weather apart from that, which is a bit ironic as our cricket season was due to start <laughs> at the, the last weekend. But uh, hey ho, as uh, it happening everywhere else, I guess, you know, far more important things to be thinking about just now. But uh, hopefully we can get out the other side of this quickly. 
how have you personally been been coping with the uh, lockdown? We've we've noticed in the UK that things are a little bit more uh, tricky than than say here, where we've been a little bit luckier. It seems in, in the UK uh, it has been quite troublesome, and, and the cases have, have skyrocketed in in some portions of this time that we've been in lockdown. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's been a it's been a difficult one. Um, I, I think we've maybe been a wee bit slow off the off the mark in comparison with other countries in in terms of locking down. Um, speaking personally, I'm I'm a school teacher in my in my other job, so a lot of my time has been spent uh, kind of getting learning, going online, and collecting evidence for exam results and things because we're not quite sure what's happening with all of that. So that's been uh, yeah, that's been that's been interesting. Uh, I suppose you could say in inverted commas. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the talk at the moment is that things are starting to plateau out. So we can only hope that that's the uh, that's the case. It's certainly been very, 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 very serious for a while now. Are you a uh, go to work in your in your sweatpants kind of guy, or, or do you get fully dressed up for your for your working from home? <laughs> uh, if I'm working from home, it is the sweatpants. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Very nice. Unless, of course, I'm unless, of course, I'm doing the uh, the kind of staff meeting thing on zoom or, or whatever in which case it's the it's the shirt and tie with the sweatpants uh combo uh, yeah the, the sort of standard working from home office office get up i think now mr perry i'll, I'll have to um you'll have to forgive me if i call you either alex or neil by mistake of all the famous aussie perrys that are out there but i know, I, I know it's jake I, I i don't want to make any assumptions here but i, I hear a a variance in in your accent for a man uh, writing about Scottish cricket living uh, near Edinburgh. Now, uh, tell me about your path to Scotland and uh, and perhaps the uh, the benefit that that pathway has given you about your perspective on Scottish cricket. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, yeah, as you can possibly tell, I'm uh, I'm I'm not I'm not Scott. My granddad was Scottish. Actually, I could play football for Scotland. Um, were it not for the fact I was rubbish, <laughs> passport player. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, I grew I grew up in the West Midlands uh, in Wolverhampton. But I've been here since oh, since nineteen eighty seven. Um, I came up as a as a student uh, to go to Edinburgh University and 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 stayed on. Um, and yeah, I guess found my way into into journalism the way that a that a lot of people do these days. You know, the the traditional routes of going and getting your journalism degree or or, or whatever don't really apply now um, with the. The growth of the internet and the the number of sites looking for um, looking for content. I'd never really thought of of writing before, but saw a website advertising for writers. Thought I'd give it a go. Wrote a piece. Um, they were quite keen, so I wrote some more. And one of the, one of the first pieces I, I did was about Ms. Bowl Hack, um, who played cricket in in Pennycook, where I am I am just now, and that got some interest around the world and Ben Fox who was the the media guy at Cricket Scotland at that time got in touch with me and said would I do some work for them and yeah and it's it's kind of kind of gone from there it's it's become my it's become my passion it's it's what I what I love doing well we've been lucky here in the southern hemisphere that a lot of our cricket was run and done before a lot of the the COVID issues had come up in the first place but I looked to the northern hemisphere and 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 you guys and in the county championship a little bit further south have found yourselves in in a big issue here where we're not exactly sure one if the season will run at all and then two you know how does one recover from that afterwards what's the latest you've heard in the northern hemisphere in terms of cricket not only across the the northern hemisphere but also in scotland i'm sure that as you said before league cricket was about to start uh do you guys have a a hopeful tentative date locked in for when you guys want to come back well what's the situation there at the moment it's again it's really hard to say i think everybody's thinking on their feet at the moment because it is such a new situation um 
the potential dates keep being sort of pushed back and pushed back. It was first of all May, and now it's into it. Now it's into June. I think it's very much kind of um, being led by by what ICC is saying as well in terms of of when things can can get underway again. Um, if and when it does get off the ground, I don't quite know what format that will be. That will be in um, a huge chunk of the of the league season will have gone. So how they will. Um, how they will sort of approach uh, getting some sort of competitive cricket going I, I, I remains to be seen, I guess, whether it will be a cup competition, whether it will be a truncated league competition, I, I don't know. I think at the moment the the aim is just to get get something on the field at some point whenever whenever we can, whenever we come out the other end of this. With regard to the international matches, uh, clearly all the Cricket World Cup League 2 thing has been, uh, have been uh, cancelled so far. We've obviously got the... The games against New Zealand and and Australia, um, which are you, you have to say very unlikely to to go ahead, certainly in their in their present format. So whether those can be can be rearranged for another time, it would all depend on I, I guess those teams' plans in terms of when they're going to be over here. So yeah, it, it's all up in the air. It's um it's very difficult to predict because I think the situation is changing so so quickly um, and so unpredictably as well. Well, we um. Moving back to your book, and I'm pretty interested in the writing process. You know how you came to this as a as a project, and you know first off, why why did you start doing this, and then you know what are some aha moments as you were kind of looking into it in a bit more detail and and sort of figuring out where you wanted to go. Yeah, um, I guess I've always loved history. I've always loved stories and telling stories, and everything I write, I try to tell a story, no matter what. What I'm doing, whether it's a match report, whether it's a, a feature piece, I, I look at it from a from a narrative point of view, and and I, I guess I saw this as a as a natural extension of what of what I do already. Um, it's similar in a way, I, I guess, to what to what you guys are doing at, at Emerging Cricket. I mean, we know that the associate world is where the real soul of cricket mm. lies. You know, it's where there's the human interest stories, all the tales of triumph over adversity, all of that kind of thing. And it's where there's the real competition and cricket with context is, is, is being played. And what I wanted to show was that there was a history to, you know, talking about, about Scottish cricket, but about associate cricket in general, I suppose you could say the same thing, that there is a, a real rich and varied history that goes beyond um, the full members. In Scotland, cricket's been played for 250 years. Um, it's got as as rich a history as, as any country in the world, and it's littered with connections to some of the most famous names to have played the game. And it was about really bringing that into the light um, in in companion to the writing that I that I do day to day, which is doing what I can to promote uh, to promote the Scottish game. Um, in terms of the the actual process, it's I suppose it, it first started off as a series of of feature pieces. Um, Donald McLeod, who's um, uh, Callum Sad, who's the uh, photographer at, at Cricket Scotland, he he had the idea of doing uh, a series of of feature pieces for the website that were based on um, on clubs, but telling the story of a club, but through an incident from its past. So uh, so we started off by looking at um, at Perthshire. Uh, cricket club, which is which is now no more. It's it's one of the clubs that was an amalgamated into into Perth Ducat um, Cricket Club. Um, but back in the in in the thirties, nineteen thirty four, um, Donald Bradman um, spent some time staying there with with A K Bell, who was the great benefactor of Perthshire, when he was recuperating from from that bout of peritonitis at the end of the 
at the end of the uh, Thirty Four Ashes, and so it was, it was telling telling that story of, of of Bradman's friendship with Bell. And as I was writing it and getting into it, though, I discovered a whole lot of other tangents, other things that it led to um, that were far too great to put into a single a single article, but sort of tucked away that actually there might be something a bit, a bit more in this. And it's uh, it's that that's one of the stories that I've returned to um, in the book to really tell uh, in a in, in a much more full full way. Talk about Eureka moments. I remember there was one, there was one, uh, one bit where um, Donald suggested we did something with Kelso, which is Scotland's oldest club, founded in 1821. And he said, "I'm not really sure what we can do with them apart from the fact that they're Scotland's oldest, oldest club." Um, so I'll go down, I'll take some photographs and see if there's anything there. So we went down and he took some, took some pictures and came back and said, "We've got some great, great shots, but again, I'm not really sure of what the angle will be." So. So I went down and met up with um, met up with the chairman who who produced an old box full of bits and papers and so on and he um, showed me like they, they had the accounts from their professional from 1860 odd or something and it was all you know all very interesting and then produced a scorebook and this scorebook started in 1850 all beautifully handwritten and I'm I'm flicking through the book and I'm seeing oh you know we've got matches here things like married v single and things like that and you know I thought there might be an interesting angle here and then turn the page and my eye alighted on the name Lily White and then looking further down that list it was there was wisdom oh wow and um and I pointed this out and Ian, and Ian Sutherland said uh, oh yeah I, I don't think that's I don't think that will be the wisdom but they've you know obviously played a played a team with this with this man in and I thought I'm not so sure about that so um went home and and checked and and this was this was the the, the original school book of the um the visit of the United All England eleven, um, who were one of the one of the early teams who who sort of travelled the the UK, spreading the game essentially. And uh, so uh, I had the basis for my for my story there. And so for the book, I've gone back, and there were other matches that these uh, that these amazing players uh, played in Kelso as well. And that, that's the first chapter of the book, telling the story of of a team that were kind of the Harlem Globetrotters of their time, I guess, you know, just going around the celebrity team, playing teams of 22 um, all around the country, trying to uh, trying to beat these uh, these famous professionals from 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 England. It, it sounds like um, there's there's a big kind of investigative side to this. And I, I guess that would be the case of, with any sort of historical work. But um, how much of your process here in, in writing the book was digging through old uh, old records and finding some some sources and documents and you know tracking down interviews and, and what were some of the like interesting things that you discovered uh, on that side of the, the process? Yeah, a lot of it was that. Um, I guess one of the the things about about Scottish cricket is that there's there's not a huge amount of of literature out there about it. So. There are some notable, um, some notable exceptions. There was a book published in 1898 by a Glasgow journalist, D.D. D. Bone, which gave some some fascinating insights into things like W.G. Grace's first matches in Scotland, which form one of the chapters um, as well. There's a there's a wonderful um, passage in that book that I that, that I quote that talks about how um, how the crowd who were thousands strong watching Grace playing in Glasgow, how he skied one and it was it was caught on the boundary and how that how the crowd wished almost that he'd dropped the ball but uh, the captain might have thought have entertained that thought but no 
surely surely nothing like that would ever happen in a game of cricket mm. <laughs> especially not with grace yeah it's definitely it's just it's just not possible to think of uh, of, of that sort of thing happening in a cricket match where something would be deliberately dropped uh, which kind of had a had a certain wry resonance with uh, <laughs> with what's happened uh, what's happened since and as you say with uh, with with grace's character too but uh, i mean there were a number of people were were huge help i mean neil leach who is the historian at cricket scotland was just an absolute goldmine of of turning up articles and and that kind of thing for me to for me to use richard young uh, as well through in glasgow who wrote as the willow vanishes which is uh, an absolutely fabulous book which which talks about how well really the debt that scottish football owes to cricket so many scottish football teams began life um, as basically something for for cricket clubs to occupy their players with in the winter, um, and so there's a lot of research uh, with there. But but Siggy was 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 a huge help with, with that as well. Mark Bridgman as well uh, up in Bridalbane had done a huge amount of research. So so a lot of the time, um, you know, people were were really really generous in in helping me sort of pointing me in the right direction with things as well in addition to to things that I was unearthing myself in in various books and old newspapers and 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 so on too but yeah it was a huge amount of 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 research i guess from the time i i started to the time i finished it was maybe i guess 2 years 2 years work to to produce it all but i could have i could have written the book three times over you know the um the amount of of other stories that there are out there um, as, as as well, it's uh, it's it's just pecking the surface of um, of of the history, but it's um, just intended just to show a little snapshot of what the of what the heritage is like. Um, I'm going to jump in because uh, and probably before others, you know, follow up on the, some of the names you mentioned there. But as a fellow um, face hair suited uh, individual and someone <laughs> who has been likened to his um appearance uh shout out to simon millington who uh, has called me wg grace on a number of uh, of occasions <laughs> but uh tell me about his lordship in, in his travels to scotland yeah well well grace visited scotland many times um actually the first time uh he came up was in the in the early 1870s he was, again was part of one of the traveling uh, 11, the Celebrity 11s. He was uh, part of the United South of England 11, uh, they were called. He was there as an amateur, um, of course, uh, which obviously meant that he was paid more than the professionals uh, who, were, who were playing alongside him because he was claiming expenses where they were they were on a flat fee. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, his first, um, his first two games in Scotland weren't successful. Um, they, they were beaten in both, in both matches uh, by... Uh, an east of Scotland team based around uh, around Carlton Cricket Club, and um, a, a west of Scotland uh, team. Although in the second match he did he did make his first century, but yeah, his his connections with Scotland um, continued. Um, the Grange, uh, in fact, was the the scene of what was reputed to be the biggest hit of his career. Um, he hit straight down the ground, and someone measured it out at 140 yards. So um, yeah, there were lots of uh, lots of little. Little connections with with Scotland, and eventually he uh, picked up the the degree from the University of Edinburgh that that enabled him to uh, to qualify as a doctor uh, after many many years of uh, putting it off um, because of his commitments on the cricket field. One hundred and forty yards. Now I know that brings it back in meters, but is that like a 
Kim Jong Il, Kim Jong Un, I should say, uh, scoring eighteen hole in ones there. Can, <laughs> can one of those twigs and a man? If he, I guess he had a bit of weight behind it, but how realistic do you think that one hundred and forty yards is? Um, you know, I've tried to picture it um, standing at the Grange, and it, and the only way I can see him see it happening is if it would have gone through where the tennis courts are now. There's some lawn tennis courts, and sort of onto the road, onto the road beyond. Um, whether it's an apoph- apoph- apocryphal story, there you go. Good word, though. It's a good word. It is very early. It is very early in the morning for me. I just have to, uh, have to remind you of that. Um, whether it whether it's one of the the many uh, such stories uh, that that are around Grace, um, I don't know. But um, so they said at the time. Anyway, we could take it probably probably with a slight pinch or something. Well, one of one of my theories on the uh, you know the old fashioned bats and the big bats now. Um, this isn't one hundred percent scientific, but my understanding is that the the main difference between modern bats and, and old bats is that back in the day, they still had a sweet spot where you could hit it a long way, but it was just a lot smaller. And these days, with the modern bat technology, the, the sweet spot is kind of basically the whole bat. Yeah. So in terms of the maximum distance you can hit something, it's not necessarily more these days. It's just that the, the average hit will go further. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, Grace is, is one of those players that you just wish there was film mm. that you can actually see what it was really really like i mean the surviving film that there that there is of him in the nets at lords um he does not look shall we say either the most stylish or the most technically adept player um that we've we've ever seen you know he's holding the bat like a poker and kind of swiping at the ball but he, he the the records speak for themselves i mean he must have been doing doing something right it would have been fascinating i think to have to have seen him uh, seen him play there's a whole list of players I guess that that you just really wish that there was something there that you could see what it was uh, what it was really like I just doing a little bit of research before we, we jumped on tonight a, a name that um, stuck out was as a name by the name of a man by the name of James Aitchison uh, who was a, a reverend I believe from what the early reading I have uh, done is it looks as if he had quite a, a glittering career at least at least in, in, in Scottish terms making you know a load of runs uh, and from what I have read it, it seems as if there was a regret that he never really tried to play county cricket but I'm sure you would have a, a long tale about Reverend James Ageson could you perhaps elaborate a little bit more on, on him yeah certainly um he was one of the great names of, of Scottish cricket at the time of his retirement. He was by far the highest run scorer, scored a ridiculous amount of runs for, for Kilmarnock Cricket Club and, and others as well. And um, yeah, scored a, scored a century against the Australians that drew the admiration of, of Richie Benno and um, uh, Keith Miller and so on, who were, who were kind of playing, playing against him at the time. There is one story that I talk about in the, in the book, but it's really in connection Almost with a with a, with another player. There's a guy called Jimmy Orr who uh, who I talk about who played for uh, for Fergusley uh, Cricket Club and and Orr was was born um, with with polio um, and so was quite severely disabled. He kind of wore calipers on his legs, which made him pretty much immobile. Uh, but he was an incredible bowler. Um, he developed his own way of bowling kind of almost sort of like Sidney Barnes like mm. you know he, he had a style entirely of his own he delivered the ball out the front of his hand could turn it either way and was virtually impossible to 
but virtually impossible to pick, would certainly have played for Scotland had it not been for his uh, for his disability. But as I say, he always batted with a with a runner. And um, when I was uh, talking uh, to the guys at Fergusley about that, um, the story came up that once he'd played against Kilmarnock. And um, Jimmy Aitchison had refused him uh, a runner, <laughs> so um, you so it just gave a little sort of insight into what was a you know a hugely talented and successful player, but that competitive edge was always there, even in a in a situation like the one that he was faced with with uh, with Jimmy Orr that day. It's not really the uh, equivalent to a Azuna Ranatunga, is it, of being refused a, 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 a runner? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's about the only time I can think. <laughs> I think slightly, slightly different reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a little bit harsh. You know, I know it's pre-existing. Um, <laughs> it's like you know you, the argument of whether it was something done in the game. But um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, as soon as you mentioned refusing a runner, it just came up Ian Healy as you're runner Tonga. <laughs> What's the historical equivalent of a Mars bar on the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> Uh, well, um, to to kind of move a bit on to uh, other other sort of uh, historical figures and and you know playing cricket in in Scotland and uh, connections to Scotland. One of the more interesting books about cricket I've read is is called uh, the Peter Pan First Eleven, and it's about J M Barry, uh, the the author of Peter Pan, who started a cricket team, and um, he he was of course Scottish, and uh, one of his friends Arthur Conan Doyle, who was also Scottish, played with him, and and he had this sort of troubadour team of uh, of basically the who's who of, of you know UK writing figures around that time of, and and they just all played cricket together do you think you know in at that time was cricket seen as uh, you know something that for people like them you know writers and and the intellectual class or, or did it have more of a working class sort of uh, feel to it uh yeah most definitely I think it had it cut across all social social backgrounds um, as it does still and and that's kind of just bringing it to the present day a, a, a little that's kind of one of the frustrating things uh, things about it and it's why the book is called the secret game in a lot of in a lot of ways i mean cricket is always is always hidden in plain sight in in scotland you know if we're talking today 17,000 people are playing cricket we've got huge success in the national men's team you know the national men's team is it's Scotland's best international team by some distance at the moment no question you've got the women's team who who've been ranked as high as 11th playing as an entirely amateur team in a an increasingly professional context you've got all this incredible development work that's going on started by you know Ian Sandbrook and Nick Wilson and Rosie Ryan and so on these sort of award-winning things happening and this is happening right across Scottish society as it always has been you have places that you know the the inner cities where things are going on you've got the leafy suburbs where where things are going on and and yeah and and twas ever thus and and it's why it's so strange that that cricket is still a game that's kind of under the under the radar a, a little bit and that's kind of also one of the I suppose the premise behind the behind the book it's bringing it trying to bring it out of the shadow it's um Football casts a long shadow. It's like the rhododendron bush of sport <laughs> um, in the UK, and um, certainly so in Scotland. And in fact, in Scotland, you narrow it down to uh, essentially the old firm, um, where a, a story about Celtic Rangers will trump virtually 
any other story about any other any other football team, let alone any other any other sport. So this 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 perception that that it was a sport for for posh people, for you know the public school connotations and and all that kind of thing that still remains. I don't know if if that was if that's always been the case, but it's always been a game that's been played by people from across all social um, uh, strata, if you like, and it it, uh, it continues to be uh, to be so today. Jesus, a long a long way, a lot of different ways we could take that though. But you're talking about clubs, and they really do underpin any cricketing nation's development. You mentioned Perthshire's story of being a famous old club, and and they merged in in 2011. What what has your research led you to learn probably more about? the club structure in, in, in Scotland and, and how it needs to to change, if it does change, but to really underpin cricket growing as, as it could and come into plain sight and become mainstream. Yeah, I mean, the clubs are at the heart of of everything. Um, they have to be. It's the, it's the lifeblood of the sport in Scotland. Um, they are changing over time time I think um, I think they're becoming much more inclusive we're seeing a lot more clubs now starting women's sections for example which is fantastic to see um, the all-stars program which is the ECB program which has um, also been uh, been adopted by Cricket Scotland um, is hugely successful um, I go up to my own club Pennycook uh, about half a mile from where I'm sitting at the moment. And, um, you know, on a Friday night, there were 60 youngsters running around, having a tremendous time playing playing the game. Um, that's the lifeblood of the, the sport in Scotland. Um, it's up to clubs to help themselves a lot of the time, I think. Um, looking at the Perthshire story, the, there, were, there were five clubs, essentially, in Perth at that time. Basically all trying to draw from the same pool of players which was reducing and reducing and reducing and in the end made what was the the pragmatic and logical decision of of amalgamating to uh, to essentially create one one big club that is now hugely successful and thriving on the on the back of that um it's really important for clubs to be involved in their communities as well to be a, to be a, a community hub that they're facilities are seen as being there for the use within the within the community that it's a place where people can congregate you've got a club like Fruki for example which is really up, absolutely at the heart of its of its community Meagle likewise maybe some other clubs need to ask themselves would their community notice if they weren't there you know that's the hard question that, that sometimes clubs need to ask themselves and if the answer is not what they would like then what can they do about about addressing that it's easy to wait for somebody else to do things for cricket scotland to provide something for whoever to provide something but it's really important that clubs take responsibility on themselves and i'm really pleased to say that the vast majority of clubs now with the support of the development programs and things that are happening um, that, that the vast majority of clubs are now are now doing that um, there's a real solid uh, basis to cricket in Scotland which there has to be you know the international side can be as successful as it wants to be but if it doesn't have that foundation underneath it um, of of this the, the, the kind of the the development from from a five-year-old right the way through 
to playing adult cricket um, and that the structures aren't there to support that, then it's all it's all for nothing. That's a really good point you bring up because it doesn't matter where you are in the emerging world, the, the same argument comes up as you quite rightly pointed out there, you know, it doesn't matter how good the national team can be if there's not a, a conveyor belt bringing up this talent from, from kids at a young age up to the to the national team. It, it, it kind of, you're kind of wasting a lot of talent there. What are the participation numbers in cricket like uh, as a summer sport, uh, but also in comparison to, to some of the other winter sports in the country? What are the, the numbers like across uh, cricket at the moment? Do you know that? Off the top of your head? Off the top of, well, the latest count um, is 17,000 active participants playing cricket. There, I believe that there are more people play cricket and there are more cricket clubs than there are rugby clubs, um, for example. Um, I'm not sure in terms of participation levels in, in other sports. But it, it's interesting as well. I mean, it kind of brings a side issue, which is about profile Two, what I was saying about about football and the football coverage and the old firm coverage and 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 so on. It, it as I say, does trump everything. It's almost like participation numbers don't really matter when it comes to the coverage. It's um, you know, look at a sport like athletics, for example, where you've got um, huge, huge numbers of people who take part in athletics in one form or another, um, and the coverage that it gets is is you know minuscule in comparison to uh to to football to rugby um as well so i I don't really understand in terms of the coverage in terms of mainstream media coverage um how participation numbers are not necessarily translated into uh into profile and just on a sort of related note you know thinking about rugby which you know scottish rugby it's a you know it's a popular sport and and it it does take up a decent amount of the you know the mind space of, of sports fans in in Scotland and your point about both participation numbers and and this kind of lingering attitude that it's a you know elitist uh, you know posh sport you know rugby was literally started at one of those elite posh english private schools you know so what what do you think um, historically was different about them that 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 particular elite posh sport caught on but but cricket didn't and you know i'm just thinking across to to ireland and how they've had uh, historical um some sort of negative attitudes towards english identity and you know there was a even a a sort of a a ban on uh non-irish sports uh including cricket and so there was that kind of angle for them was there anything similar historically in scotland and yeah why do you think um one one posh sport caught off but not the other oh i'm so glad you said that i make that point so many times that it frustrates <laughs> it frustrates me so much he didn't give us that question everyone i, I promise okay <laughs> <laughs> but no but but no you're, you're absolutely right i mean you can't get more english public school than a than a sport named after one of them <laughs> um but um whether it is something to do with um with profile uh, internationally that that uh the Scotland rugby team was regularly competing uh, against the other home nations, particularly England, uh, I guess, and and sometimes beating them as well. Um, whether that that's been a part of it, I I don't know. I mean, rugby started off very much as a sport in the borders in Scotland, um, where it still kind of has its heartland, I guess, um, before it spread more widely ac- across the country. But um, but it is a sport that's more. Uh, I would say centered around the around the south of the country still, but but yeah, there is that there is that perception, and it is a kind of anti 
anti-English thing, I, I guess you could say that that it's seen as a as an English sport. Cricket, this is um, it's seen as an English sport, which is just is just kind of nonsense, you know, the the, the way that it's singled out. I mean, sport is, uh, cricket has been played in in Scotland for two hundred and fifty years. It's been played here far longer than football has, for example, or rugby has, and it it was as as we were saying before, played across all parts of society and and it's i think it's it's kind of a lazy thing to say it's 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 easy to dismiss but it's something also actually that that's maybe a wider problem than just scotland i think it's a uk thing as well the profile of cricket is you know it has an image problem it's it's become easy to dismiss um suffering in comparison again with with football the premier league down south it was really interesting actually the world cup final when uh when england got to the got to the world cup final and the uh the coverage went terrestrial uh for the first time since well 2005 ashes there was a terrestrial broadcast cricket match um on uh it was put on channel 4 and of course uh it was a as we know a a fantastic match which which fully justified the format of the tournament as a whole uh, <laughs> by by its sheer yes. its sheer brilliance um, people are already <laughs> getting all teary-eyed about it on twitter have you not noticed that people are already talking about what a what a great <laughs> fortnight it was oh oh my word but anyway i wish it was only a fortnight but blimey anyway uh, that's another story <laughs> oh, exactly um, the last fortnight of dead rubbers that we didn't have because sri lanka beat yes, england yeah but um yeah i'll say it again if if your format relies on the number one team forgetting how to play uh it's it's probably a bad format <laughs> true yeah, yeah if only we'd written something about it and had thoughts and numbers <laughs> yes but the day after that marvelous event anyway um there was a phone in on uh, on radio 5 which is the main kind of sports um uh, bbc uh, station uh, here and uh, there were people phoning in saying oh well, you know this was amazing and i didn't realize that, that cricket was so exciting and all of this kind of stuff which was you know fantastic and the the sports reporter actually said when someone said you know essentially that i didn't realize that cricket was so was so marvelous whatever kind of said almost behind his hand well it's not always like that you know and that kind of for me summarized the image problem that cricket has even after an event like that where you had real enthusiasm generated by people that were that were phoning in to to express it it's still kind of poo-pooed that that it's it's a game that's kind of a bit boring and kind of a bit sort of stayed and it's got rules that are impossible to understand and all that kind of thing um for me, a real eye-opener, I'd mentioned All-Stars uh, before, and I went to uh, an All-Stars session just to, to write a piece about it for, for, for Cricket Scotland. And, um, and I was chatting with one of the mums who was there with her, with her six-year-old. And uh, what she said has always stayed with me, which, which was, you know, I, uh, my, my son came home from school and said he wanted to, to do this thing, this cricket thing. And I thought, oh, right, okay, you send off, you get a free pack and you get a bat and all that kind of thing and I thought he'll, he'll be doing it for the stuff so anyway we sent away for it and he got it and he, and he came up said but he absolutely loves it and we love it as well said because I had no idea that it was like this that uh, you know that it's not people wearing whites and eating cucumber sandwiches and <laughs> all from public schools and all of that kind of thing that it's a game that he really loves and it's loads of fun and there's loads of different things you can do within it and um, yeah, I, I just had no idea that it was like this, and that's what's always struck. What's always struck me: whoever is exposed to cricket, invariably, 
loves it, especially if they take part in it. Um, I went to something again that the uh, that Cricket Scotland run called the Wee Bash, which is a tournament, um, a, a, a women and girls tournament that um, Rosie Ryan has has developed, an indoor tournament, and there were. Uh, girls and women there of all ages, all stages, complete beginners um, playing, you know, Scotland's nationals were playing there as well. It was fantastic, you know, the atmosphere there and just the, the, the enthusiasm for the game. And for all of these people that say, you know, that, that, that cricket is this, that cricket is that, that it's, that it's an English thing, that it's a kind of colonial imposition, that it's whatever it is, I don't know. Um, for them to come and see what it what the reality is what is actually going on um would just be a tremendously uh, eye-opening thing um and it's certainly it's, it's a thing that i'm really proud of to watch and really proud of to 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 report on um it's just a a fantastic story that that um that should be should be out there the reality of it should be out there well and and this um relates to you know my next question which you know we, we talked about the the 10 team world cup and I guess cricket has this kind of insular image that that is hard to shed when when it is you know cutting teams from its world event and it it does feel very um, you know limited international cricket whereas you look at football and you have you know African teams and Asian teams and whoever else and they're all playing each other at the World Cups and you have um, you know footballers from all these different countries coming to play so it has a much more international feel. Do you think that is part of why cricket is you know struggling? Uh, to, to, to break out of that mould is it, it doesn't have that uh, international angle uh, in the same way as football does. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. Um, how cricket can deny itself the opportunity for stories like Japan at the last Rugby World Cup or beating um, South Africa at the one before or, you know, Cameroon at the Football World Cup, you know, however many years ago and how it can deny itself the opportunity for these for these giant killing acts in inverted commas, but that bring those nations to, to, to the fore and bring, more importantly, the sport to the fore. They're exciting stories. Um, and it's why, you know, things like, like Scotland beating England um, back in 2018 in the, in the, in the ODI or um, Ireland beating England or the Netherlands beating in there's a common denominator kind of kind of coming up here I think <laughs> um, but uh, but but it's how those stories were so were so important at, at, at the time you know they they really raised the profile and showed people that that cricket is is more than just the established powers the 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 full members not even all the full members of course have afforded the same um the same respect, the same kind of luxury of uh, of, of that sort of respect, um, and it, but it's showing that the game exists and is thriving and is competitive beyond that, and 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 we know from reporting on the associate world just how competitive it it is, and just how many associate teams could make it that next that next step up if only they were given the opportunities to to do so, uh, and the support to do so, and that has to come obviously financial support is one thing but it has to come through fixtures it has to come through the exposure um to be able to play these teams regularly at the highest level i mean the the gap between the the lower ranked full members and the upper ranked associate members is it's so small as to be meaningless you know we know it doesn't it doesn't really exist it's why the whole status thing is such a nonsense but uh, 
I, I just don't understand why why cricket seems determined to to cut itself off from that sort of level of publicity, that sort of opportunity to really grow the game, to really make it to make it a, a truly global um, sport that's not just for um, a select few who have a, a silver plaque um, above their above their door. So within the construct that we have at the moment, and I don't want you to speak for, for Gus Mackay, he's been Chief Executive for Cricket Scotland now since since October, but I, maybe I need you to channel him a little bit. You've talked about how strong the, the men's team is in the context of Scottish sport, but also global sport. The women's team continue to improve, hosting great global tournaments as, as well. What is next for, for Scotland then? Um, you know, I know full member... Ship has been spoken about, but uh, ticking the boxes, there was a bit of a trip over there with the the home losses. What next for Scotland within the world that we have? It's, I have to say, it has to be full membership, not for the silver plaque, um, but because that seems to be the only way to access the funding that is essential for Scottish cricket to to develop. Um, talking about the women's team specifically, um, if I could wave, you know. The, the wand and, and, and bring one thing in to improve the Scottish game, it would be to make the women's team fully professional. Because at the moment, they're competing against teams who have cottoned on to the fact that their way to break into the world game is through their women's team. So we've got, you know, obviously, we've seen what's happened with Thailand, a fantastic story with that team going professional. Uh, we've seen Brazil. Um, going central contracts uh, recently, you know, more and more teams are are, are going that route, and I, I spent a day uh, with the with the with the women's squad the other day, um, just with, in training and seeing what they're doing and and, and so on. They'd spent you know two um, two days, two seven hour days um, over their weekend uh, working you know, training together, talking together, all of that kind of thing. Uh, but then they all go away to their jobs um, because they all have full-time jobs or their students or, or, or whatever at, at the same time. Maintaining that momentum is so hard. Um, for, for Steve Knox, for the, for the coaching team, they do an incredible job with what they, with what they can and the players do an incredible job. Um, the dedication that they show is just, is just incredible. And, it's that next step, that professionalization of the women's team, though, has to happen for them to be able to comfortably access that next level to be competing with the likes of of Thailand again. I mean, remember, you know, the year, uh, the year before the qualifier last summer, so so 2018, Scotland beat Thailand in the in the previous qualifier, um, beat them in the third place uh, playoff. So the, the the steps that that team has taken in a relatively short space of time has been absolutely massive, and the talent base is within Scotland. Um, that's undeniable. You know, Scot the Scotland women's team at the moment has two, probably three, pro uh, possibly more world class players within it. No question at all. Um, and you know, what potential is there to be unleashed? were they only to have the time to do so is uh, is is unimaginable really so for me it, it has to be the increased funding which seems to to have to come from 
uh, from full member status to be able to to fully develop the women's team, to be able to fully kind of put in place these development programs and and to really see them see them through, as well as the fixtures and all of that kind of thing that we've that we've talked about. But it's more for the for the funding to enable the sport to go to the next level in Scotland to make it a mainstream sport. Um, that has to be the next step for, for for Scottish cricket, really. And unfortunately, you know, some of that is in is in other people's hands. It's in it's in the gift of others. But um, but we just have to see see how things turn out over the next few years, I guess. Now, before we let you go, Jake, again, congratulations on the book. It's called The Secret Game, Tales of Scottish Cricket. Uh, where's the best place to buy it? Uh, it's available from the publishers direct at the moment. That's uh, Checkered Flag Publishing. Uh, and then from the 1st of May, which is its official uh, release date, it's available via Amazon and uh, Waterstones and the usual the usual outlets. Oh, that's good. I've got a birthday coming up. Hopefully someone in my house will uh, take the hint and, uh, <laughs> a- a- and grab that for my birthday as uh, Mel is there smiling at me right now. So that's a good sign. Uh, <laughs> once again, thank you very much, uh, Jake Perry, for joining us on the show. Uh, thank you for, for helping contribute to the emerging cricket movement as well with some of the stuff you've done for us. And again, congratulations on the book. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. As we said at the top end of the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast and please share the link with all your cricket-loving friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month and that will give you access to extended cuts of a number of our podcasts and you can also have a say in our show's direction. For now, though, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and the boys, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world. Yeah!